Hello there, welcome to a brand new Arse Blog. Arsecas right here on arseblog.com. I hope you're well. I'm not very well, I have to say, not well at all. No, and it has little to do with, with Arsenal. Heading towards the end of the podcast transfer window, you see, and I'm getting hundreds of texts every day from people telling me who I should sign for the Arsecast. Who are these people who haven't done a half a day's podcasting in their life to tell me who to sign? We're working very hard. 24 hours a day. And I'm not the only one who's responsible for... for oh, no, wait. I, I am kind of the only one who's responsible. But anyway, these pesky people telling me what to do, they don't know. How could they know? Just because they're keen observers and followers of podcasts, having listened to hundreds, perhaps thousands of them in their lifetime? identifying which ones are good and which ones are bad and how they can be improved. Apart from all that, how do they know what a podcast needs? Anyway, maybe that's just me. Although it could be a a common kind of a problem, strikes me. After what has been a, well, an up-and-down week for Arsenal, let's face it. Up Champions League in midweek. Down Villa on Saturday. Up, um... Koscielny didn't die. That's good. Down. Well, we were down to one central defender. We were down to one anyway after the sending off against against Aston Villa. While there was certainly an element of of bad luck to our defeat against Villa, what with the referee being a complete and utter cunt and what have you, you know, leaving that aside, I think we have to take the blame ourselves, to be perfectly honest. People will say that's a team that could have beaten Aston Villa. I agree, it could have, but it didn't. But if you'd had a team out there, let's say, boosted with uh, a Higuain or a Benzema, if we're interested in that guy, or a Di Maria, or a Gustavo, or a Fellaini, or a Sacco, you know, if you'd had those players in the team from the start against Villa, then maybe we wouldn't be talking so much about the referee. And of course, the week has gone on and we're... We're discussing transfers again. Arsene Wenger talking about how uh, our transfer window might start now. Now that we've achieved qualification more or less for the for the Champions League. I want to touch on that point a little bit later with my guests. But I'm just trying to get my head around Arsene Wenger and what he's doing. And I can't do it. I can't. I just can't. We've dropped three points in the league. The win in midweek. Fantastic. Really proud of the players that went out and did that. They worked hard and they deserved that win. Fenerbahce were poo. Makes no difference. They didn't play well. Who cares? We had to go out and get the result and we did that. So well done to the players who did and some of the performances were really excellent. Uh, trying circumstances yet again, having lost Koscielny. Sanya in at centre-half. Jenkinson at right-back. Missing players. Some of the players clearly aren't quite fitting up to speed yet because Orla I'm thinking of. But we did what we had to do and that was great. But in the Premier League, we've dropped three points at home, first day of the season, and the outpouring of anger and frustration from everybody was was incredible. And it wasn't based at all on the fact that we lost against Villa. That was the, the straw that broke the camel's back. That's why we had those videos, those impassioned fans who we saw uh, on video outside the stadium, uh, the guys from Belgium, 
the guy who called out, uh, you know, the media lovies and, and called for the resignations of the board and, and Ivan Gazidis and Arsene Wenger, wondering where's the pride gone in this club. We had, uh, I don't know if you ever watch Hugh Wizzy stuff, uh, his videos. He got very emotional over in New York. And fair play to him, actually, for posting it in the end, because a lot of people wouldn't. But that just showed the frustration and the, the emotion that people are feeling. And it wasn't just based on Villa. It was based on the fact that we had uh, a great chance to make sure that that Villa game uh, brought us three points and ignored that the whole summer long. And that's why people got mad and they're angry and they want things to change. And understandably, they want things to change, that we should do things differently, better, improve. Uh, and trying to get your head around what Arsene Wenger is doing in the transfer market is, is just impossible. Because imagine if you work for, I don't know, a taxi company, right? You're a taxi driver. And your boss comes to you and says, here you go, there is a practically unlimited budget to go and buy yourself the best car you can possibly get. What do you do? You go out and you identify the best car that you can get and you buy it. And do you care about how much money it costs? No, you fucking don't, because not your money. You don't give a shit. You don't scratch around at Honest John's used motors. If it was me, I'd buy the fucking Batmobile. I've got all the money in the world. Who cares how much the Batmobile costs? I've got the fucking Batmobile. It's brilliant. And if it breaks down, whatever, who gives a shit? I buy a different car. Or I could sell the Batmobile for more than I paid for it a couple of years later. Buy the fucking Batmobile. It's got torpedoes and shit. And essentially that's what Arsene Wenger's summer has been. He could have bought the fucking Millennium Falcon practically. And he sat down and dithered and dallied and we haven't been able to do anything and I know there's a whole collective that goes into transfers and there's problems with this area and that area and communication and uh, you know but ultimately it, it comes down to the manager because he's the one that makes the decisions and uh, I think the decisions that he's made or failed to make or the uh, the way he's changed his mind at certain points this summer and that has been a feature from talking to certain people it's been a case that Arsene Wenger has identified a target, said, yes, let's go for that, and then changed his mind, sometimes in less than 48 hours. A very recent example of that took place, where Arsene identified a player, made a bid, player himself said, yeah, that'd be good, they're a great club. And then Arsene Wenger changed his mind. And that player went and played somewhere else and played fucking brilliantly for them by all accounts on, on his first day there. So it's little wonder, really, that the Aston Villa game sparked such an outpouring of, of everything. Anger and frustration and unhappiness and grief sounds like the wrong word to use, but, you know, that's what it kind of felt like, that people were trying to make sense of what their football club was doing and just could not do it. People are confused like when you step on a dog's tail and he's asleep he doesn't know what the fuck's happened your dog turns around and just starts biting stuff because he doesn't know what's happened and that's what's happening people are biting all over the place because they just can't figure out what it is is it the owner is it the manager is it dick law is it ivan gazidis is it all of those things something else what you know people just don't know so uh hugely disappointing to lose that game on saturday 
Villa look a decent side, but, you know, not hugely special or anything. And I think an Arsenal team that had new faces, new signings, new belief, confidence, would have beaten Aston Villa. From the start, you're playing catch-up. You're, you're losing ground on those ahead of you, those that you need to stay in touch with. So it is annoying, very annoying. And I think what uh, Wednesday showed us was that that first 11 that we had out was decent. Not world-beating by any means, but it was decent. But when you're looking for something to change it, there was nothing on the bench. Podolski, we don't know what's happened there. I think there's something weird going on, but anyway. Uh, beyond that, what have you got? No centre half, we had a right back, a left back, a Frimpong, a Nabry, and uh, somebody else, I can't remember, a goalkeeper, you know. But if the worst had happened, what did we have there to change the game? And the other thing to bear in mind is that when Arsene Wenger talks up the quality of his first team, his first 11 that he had out, that's great. And I think we can all say, that's not bad. But let's face it, it's not so good that it couldn't be improved either. So uh, we'll just have to see what they do between now and the end of the window. Uh, going into the Fulham game tomorrow... Well, we're stretched to bits defensively, and let's hope that there's no more injuries. Anyway, we'll discuss all this now with our guests. Uh, joining me first uh, from Ars Blog News on the Arsenal Collective, it's Andrew Allen. Hello. Hello there. And from Ars to Mouse, Tim Clark. Hi. Hello, thanks for having me. You're very welcome. Uh, I'm going to start with you because I, I want to touch first on what happened in midweek and after uh, the Villa thing, which we'll get to. Um, there was certainly a lot of pressure on the players going out to, to Turkey. I know that there wasn't a huge amount of of expectation because I think I was slightly afraid that, that it would go wrong again. But they played very, very well against an admittedly poor Fenerbahce side. But, you know, job done and job done very well. Yeah, I'm going to drop some hipster points here by saying I know next to nothing about Turkish football beyond that time soon has stuck a flag in the pitch and uh, that Drogba's somehow involved in it these days. So I had I didn't know like how good or bad Fenerbahce was going to be and the, the answer was quite bad. But given, given our kind of travails last year in cup competitions against opposition that also you would say was quite bad, you, you, you just didn't know what to expect and you didn't know... Uh, what the reaction after the weekend was going to be like and we were carrying a lot of injuries in there and you just sort of thought it's obviously going to be a hostile atmosphere and, and, and how will this team kind of uh, cope with it and the answer was they coped like really really admirably like we, we dominated the game from start to finish really I mean they, they crafted a few chances Chesney made a couple of decent saves but we were by far the better side and I thought it looked, looked pretty dangerous so mm. I mean as much as I'm kind of not dismissive of the Champions League, but I, I don't get quite as excited by it because I tend to get excited about competitions I think we can win. It's clearly massive to still be in it. And and after that, you have to think we are still in it pretty definitely now. Oh, God, what am I saying? This is the sort of thing that... <laughs> don't um, worry. Yeah, yeah. You won't have jinxed us. Uh, Andrew, there was, uh, there was a really nice moment, and it, it happens quite rarely. You know, when you go to Turkey and you go to these... Uh, these foreign grounds where the, the, the fans are, you know, almost like a gigantic choir, a, a wall of noise, and Gibbs scored, and it just went completely dead silent. It was absolutely, absolutely fantastic to see. The, the Gibbs goal started by Aaron Ramsey, who on the night was probably uh, our best player, and I think I said at the, on Twitter at, at halftime that we needed somebody to, to be a bit creative. Uh, he, he did the job. 
Yeah, I think he's really come along over the last, um, you know, six or seven months. And I think Walcott today was talking about how he saw and spoke to Ramsey during preseason. He just said he just felt like he was watching a different player and the guy was really fit and he just looked really up for it and says it's this is his season. And I think he's starting to believe that as well. I think off the back of last season, he's taken a lot of confidence and there's been a huge sea change in the view from the fans about his uh, ability and what he can bring to the squad. I mean, I think at the moment, he's he's obviously benefiting because uh, Arteta's out. You question whether he'd even be in the side at the moment if Arteta was fit. But um, it's great to think that with Mikel out, that he's the other option at the moment. And um, no, he's come to the fore. I mean, just a moment, just looking back on what you were saying about the crowd, I think it's really interesting actually that I actually think this Arsenal crowd, uh, sorry, this Arsenal team does much better facing crowds away from home. Then it seems to deal with the kind of the, the moaning and the groaning of the the fans at the Emirates, where they all seem to sort of clam up a bit, like what's going on on the terraces itself. So, um, yeah, positive stuff on the pitch. Mm, I saw uh, somebody tweeting. I saw somebody tweeting going, "Why are this uh, Fenerbahce crowd booing the Arsenal players? They're just making them feel at home." <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know, it does set us up. It does set us up nicely and put a bit of the the disappointment from from last weekend uh, behind us. But let's not escape the fact. Andrew, the last weekend was a huge disappointment, and I think the outpouring of of everything after that particular game spoke volumes about not just the first game of the season, but the summer and, and perhaps long before that. It, it, I mean, I described it just after the game as the perfect storm. I mean, the way that game panned out with injuries to players in positions we were already weakened in, um, decisions against players which were just you know ridiculous I thought the referee all game was just awful um, and to be honest I felt like the crowd for the most part were very much behind the team for the majority of the game it was only when um, the third goal went in that it really kind of went ballistic in the crowd and everybody's head turned on them and turned on Wenger but you know there were good flashes I'm not saying that covers up anything else I mean to be honest we all know where it's just I mean, we spent a whole summer talking about it dissecting it on a day-to-day basis every single change and every single rumor having an effect on whether or not we think we're going to do anything and it, um, it's it's been crazy and I think all of that tension was just coming to the boiling point and it just by the 86th minute when that you know lunar guy scored it just it all just poured out like a like a horrible therapy session um but nothing's been solved yet. No, not yet, Tim. And here we are, um, a day away from Fulham, and we still have these issues. We've got defensive issues. We've got one fit centre half of the club, and you know, I just I'm thanking our lucky stars that that Bakary Sanya wasn't lured away this summer because that was obviously a huge possibility uh, towards the end of last season. Uh, lots of talk of other clubs. Uh, and, you know, he's kind of the, holding things together. The man with the indestructible neck is, is the guy who's, who's moving to left-back movie. He's going to play centre-half tomorrow, we assume. Um, you know, what, what's your sort of general thoughts on, on the Villa game itself? Because uh, aside from the perfect storm of it, the other, the other side, I guess, is that a better Arsenal team with better Arsenal players, you know, they'd, they'd have charted a different course if you want to stay on that sort of metaphor. Yeah, I mean, on the, on the Sanya thing, I think Arsene said after the, the Fenerbahce game that you would have to go a long way in Europe to find a better centre-back than Bakary Sanya. I mean, that's clearly been noticed over a period of, what, three <laughs> games where he's played that position? I mean, it's an unbelievable piece of internal scouting we've done. Um, the, the game itself, yeah, I thought, I mean, Andrew's absolutely right. The atmosphere was quite flat, generally, but 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 relatively positive and only really turned uh, with that third goal. And that third goal felt like kind of, 
the kind of apotheosis to use a ridiculous word I've just pulled out of my ass of kind of Arsenal stupid goals like it's that classic counter-attacking sucker punch where everyone's standing in the wrong place and no one quite knows what each other are doing and it really reminded me of both in terms of the atmosphere and the the, the style of the goal of the ones that Swansea scored uh, yeah. at the Emirates there was that same kind of instant all the seats going up people going just <laughs> batshit everywhere some guy near me as I was I, I was trotting down the stairs to get my early train which I don't normally do but I figured I'd, I'd put enough in that day was pulling out a banner slightly bigger than A4 I would have said A3 uh, with Wenger out on it that was in my new berth upstairs I mean strangely there was a because I was sat next I've got a new seat this season I was sat next to a guy who when we were 2-1 down he and I were like musing on the wisdom of renewing and he was saying he was saying he regretted uh, renewing his season ticket because he he felt, and he wasn't being it in a particularly dramatic way. He just sort of said, you know, the club phoned him a couple of times, and if he'd have known that we we were heading into what felt like it was again going to be a very very similar season to the, the one we've seen over the last two years, he, he would have thought really hard about it. And I kind of I kind of agree with him because I schlep up from the West Country, and I don't know, like it's it's the thing the thing is, and again, it's, you know, to, to agree with Andrew like it's this isn't because of that one game you know we've seen us lose games in more stupid circumstances than that but it felt like it feels like so few lessons have been learned and then there's the that's that's kind of um compounded by the fact they put this narrative out there that we could target these top caliber players and that that you know something had changed a, flip, a switch had been flicked that meant that we could approach we could approach the competitions in a, in a sort of slightly different way in terms of squad composition so I understand why people feel let down, and I think it's, it's it's three years worth of that kind of frustration building up. You speak to neutral fans, speak to a guy like like you know Ian McIntosh, the football journalist, and he tears his hair out about Arsenal. He's not an Arsenal fan, you know. People find it mad. Neutral fans at work come up to me, and they're not even like taking the piss. They just go like, "What are you doing, you lot? Like, what? I don't. No one understands it." Mm. Here's a thing that occurred to me during the weekend. I could be way off the mark, but we've we've spoken about Gazidis and you know what he said about making transfers and our financial capability and whether that was you know a power play with Arsene Wenger or, or all those things. But leaving that aside, something occurred to me during the week because one of the other things that's sort of uh, troubling people is the fact that Tottenham are, are selling their best player and Tottenham are a very close rival. So Tottenham are selling their best player. And they've probably known that for quite some time. Do you, either of you, and I'll ask this of you, Andrew, do you think it's possible that Tottenham, having decided to sell Bale, looked at what Ivan Gazeta said and went, fuck, Arsenal are actually going to spend a lot of money this summer. They're, they're really going to go for it. Look at, you know, they're talking about being Bayern Munich. They're talking about Wayne Rooney. It's early in the summer and they've got Higuain on their sights. And, you know, if we actually want to keep pace with Arsenal, we're going to have to fucking spend a lot of money. Does anyone think that we've impacted on what Tottenham have done this no, summer? Because no, they've... I don't believe it at all. I think, I think that Levy knows he's absolutely on the cusp of, of getting us, and at some point our, our luck will run out if we maintain our current course. And I think the truth is they probably would guess that we would maintain our current course, because it's all we've done. I think he sees... I think he's seen very early the chance to... If they can get into that Champions League spot... And really, and really nudge us out. The way to do it is by kind of you, you don't kind of just slightly try and beat your enemy. You should try and crush your enemy at every yeah, opportunity, but, and that's what Arsenal don't do. Well, that's and my I, that's my entire point because they, uh, you know, like all of us, made the assumption that after finishing fourth, Arsenal with this you know financial firepower, you know, would would go out. So in order 
to, to, to try and knock us off. They had to go big. If they thought we were just going to muddle on, they maybe not. I don't know. Maybe I'm... Andrew, <laughs> think, what do you I reckon? Think, I think Spurs would be pretty crazy to follow our lead on anything regarding <laughs> transfers. But, you know, you never know. I mean, they're trying to build a stadium themselves, so maybe they'll try and get themselves into a whole load of debt and play out with a whole youth team for the next 10 years. We'll see how it goes. This evening, and I'm not sure um, how far it's going to take us, Andrew. We've, we've heard that Arsenal might be on the verge of re-signing Matthew Flamini from AC Milan. He's been playing with us or, or training with us during the summer. Um, and on the, on, on the face of it, you look at it and say, well, A, he's better than nobody. B, he can play football. Uh, C, he's quite good, you know, on his day. And D, I'm back to A because he's better than, better than nobody. But, you know, this wasn't part of any plan, surely. No, I don't think so. I mean, these are basically contract talks we began five years ago, um, and we were unsuccessful that time. Um, it, the weird thing is with him is it sounds like he's turned down a few offers elsewhere. So Arsene must have sounded him out at the end of last term um, at some point because, you know, Milan put a two-year t- deal on the table, and he thought to himself, I, I'm quite happy to go somewhere else. Um, he's a nice player, Flamini. I always liked him. I just think... At the same, in the same way that he moved to us from Marseille at the time. I mean, he's, he's a bloke who, who seems to know what he wants regarding contracts, and he's not afraid to make big decisions. So if he wants to come to Arsenal, it's because he wants to come to Arsenal. Whether Arsenal wanted him necessarily, that's a different matter, but we could probably do with him now. I mean, on his day, he's an incredibly energetic player in the centre of the park, and we've spent the last couple of years looking at Coquelin and comparing him to Flamini and thinking, will he make this step up and become that kind of player? And we, instead, we've gone and let Coquelin go and brought Flamini back, by the sounds of things. So, um, again, I don't think it's part of a plan. I think this might just be a little bit of opportunism in the same way that the Henri situation panned out. But um, can't hurt. Can't mm. hurt at the moment. Tim, what about Arsene Wenger talking after the game against Fenerbahce, talking about how our transfer window starts now? It starts now, because you know we've got that game in 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 the uh, in the Champions League more or less under our belts. To me, uh, I think it's a bit convenient uh, for Arsene Wenger uh, to say that. Like he's it's it's something for him to kind of hide behind to sort of excuse the summer because he can say I was concentrating on the uh, Champions League, and once we've got that, I can go out and do and do all the business. I mean, I mean, it's just spin, isn't it? Like I've, I went through a phase of sort of analyzing what he might mean and uh, and that sort of stuff and I just can't do it anymore like the the, the Flamini thing like I'm sure he'll come in and do like an okay job and I think it's probably been fed through the club's you know Harvard approved algorithm and they've they've had a sniff around the bumholes of Bender and uh, Gustavo and they've deemed them probably too expensive because it would have had to go to north of 20 million for Bender probably and, and and not far off that for Gustavo uh, and they've done the maths and probably given uh, Andrew said Flamini knows what he wants and the answer's almost always a big wage packet and you know fair enough to him I want that too so that's how that's shaken out but the thing is like I mean I went in quite hard on this on, on my blog you, you can't look at the summer as anything but a failure I don't think and, and I know we're linked to some big players now I, I'd be very surprised if some of those deals came off certainly all of them yeah. and if you went into the summer with this notion that we can we can attract and sign marquee players of you know Rooney was the example put to them and they said yeah, more than that um, then the failure to sign players of that calibre has to be regarded as a failure and and yet here we are like I said to you before we came came on air like that you, you can spend so much time arguing with people who try and keep cooking up these 
different logical contortions to explain why what has happened, i.e. nothing, has happened. And, you, you know, we went through phases where people go, well, they're waiting, they're waiting for the kit launch. That's when the players have been announced. They're waiting for the kit launch. They're done, but they're waiting for that. And then you go, well, they're waiting for Champions League qualification because players will want to see if we're actually in the Champions League qualification. I mean, that is demonstrably untrue. Like, Higuain was willing to come. Suarez, although he wasn't allowed to come, was willing to come while we were still in qualifiers. The reality is, and the reality is borne out by the evidence, is that we've just failed to do deals. We've clearly attempted some and failed. But the, the, the lack of urgency and the lack of direction has to point in, it has to point at one guy. I think I just can't see any other explanation. Well, I think for I it. think one of the worrying things is really that you know Gazidis went out and made did this interview just before uh, a meeting with the AST. I think it was. It, this was basically Ivan Gazidis saying, "I'm going to nip all these nasty questions I'm about to face." you know, in two days' time in the bud by going big and saying this is what we can do. And I think the worrying thing is that the communication between him and the manager, obviously, <laughs> I'm not sure they had even communicated. I'm not sure how much communication goes on between the two of them. I kind of, I very, I worry a lot about that relationship because that is probably the most important relationship we have at the club. And, I, you know, if you've got one guy saying one thing and the other guy quite happily waiting around and ignoring him and not really caring too much about what he said, and then away from all of that, the fans going apeshit about, you know, nothing happening. I mean, because he just really should have just kept his mouth shut and let the deals do the talking as the deals panned out. I mean, technically, the deals never did pan out. He would have been quiet, but I wonder whether his silence might have been more appreciated than coming out and telling everybody we've got all this money and we're not spending it. Did, did, did you see the, um, the, 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 the Valencia goalkeeper we were linked to during the week and there was a story in, it could have been El Mundo or one of those, and basically they sort of said Dick Law came to Valencia and he offered three shackles and a sheep and a bit, you know, for the goalkeeper and they said... Ah, fuck off. And law apparently said to them, look, ah, you know, this was just a bit of an opportunity. It wasn't necessarily a specific request from the manager that we get a goalkeeper. You know, you think, what? What are you doing? Why are you could just sort of, I think I'll go to Valencia and see if they'll sell that guy. And if not, sure, you know, what the fuck? Makes no difference. Arsene doesn't really want him anyway. Did you hear the one with Kabai as well, where I assume I assume is leaked by Newcastle, where they he's phoned Ashley and said, uh, I want to buy your man... Johan for 10 million quid and Ashley who's obviously fancies himself as a comedian said which part of him do you want to buy Dick went no no I want, I want to buy all of him like even the joke sailed over his head see what, what I don't understand is why does he have to go to Valencia if he can call Newcastle if he's going to go to Valencia I want him to bloody well turn up at St James's Park and start banging down the door with his you know suitcase of cash and his calculator and all the rest of it because I, I, I don't know. Maybe it's just the language of the uh, of the transfer market. This idea that everybody travels everywhere to talk to people face to face. I mean, mm. just do it. Well, just it with just United, do it like we're doing now. Just do it on Skype. United sent the chief exec back, didn't they? Like two weeks ago, or maybe longer, to deal with urgent business. You wonder what the business was. He's still <laughs> just sat in his room. <laughs> Is this the new breed of absolutely fucking useless football executives? <laughs> it must be. Anyway, look, before we uh, get too uh, dragged down into all of it, uh, the names that have been bandied about, Di Maria, Benzema, uh, you know, these are guys that would obviously add a great deal to the team. Does anyone have any faith or belief that these deals are going to happen? With with Benzema, like I mean, like everyone else, I follow a load of people on, on Twitter and on the internet, and there's a journalist who's apparently very close friends with him who was tweeting earlier that he thought it was a... Well, he, he said definitively that it was a total non-star and that he's very happy where he is, but that he thought Di Maria 
it makes sense if Bale is going there he's going to be pretty frozen out in terms of the wide forward positions maybe that makes more sense um, we certainly could do with a Jovino upgrade with, with um, Chamberlain injured and Podolsky, Podolsky seemingly completely out of favour so be nice to have a left a left winger but I don't know like even what I wanted to ask you two is even if even if we got players of those calibre and do you think they catapult us into anything more than fighting for force with with the squads as currently constructed and, and, and kind of given what Spurs done because I'm not sure I do I think we're facing a real fight to be honest you know I, I don't see certainly this squad as it stands is not finishing top four for me no. absolutely no chance whatsoever um you know, if you bring guys in before the end of the transfer window, it entirely depends on, one, the quality of those players, and two, how far you've fallen behind. Because, you know, there's obviously a game tomorrow against Fulham, which isn't going to be easy given the injuries, etc., that we have. So if you, uh, you know, by the middle of September, find yourself eight points off the likes of Chelsea or Manchester United or Manchester City, you know, you're always playing catch-up. So... It's not terribly insightful to say it depends on a lot of things, but obviously, obviously it does. Andrew, oh look, I think if we ended up with someone of Benzema's quality up front and a, and a winger of Di Maria's, you know, panache, I think between the two of them, they would certainly improve the side. Do I think it will happen? Probably not. I think it's more likely we'll end up with Flamini. I wouldn't even be surprised if we tried to get Adebayor on loan. Maybe get Eduardo back. Cesc next year. Just. <laughs> You know, maybe we could have a good run in the league until February, March, and then maybe a player could suffer a terrible injury, and it'll just be a horrific, vicious circle that we're going to be stuck in for the rest of our lives. Oh. And I'm going to, I'm going to probably start crying. <laughs> you brought him in to be the positive one. That's, that was the plan. It's not worked out. Well, look, you know, you, uh, you, dra- you dragged me down, Tim. Yeah. <laughs> There were there were worse places to be than 2008 or 2007 2008 when when things were going pretty well and we should really have won the league in that season. But anyway, look very quickly, Tim, your thoughts on uh, the game against Fulham tomorrow? Confident? No, no, no. only because I've been at Fulham loads and uh, we tend to draw that. Mm. Andrew, I don't know. I'm, I'm a bit miffed that we've decided to wear the yellow kit against a team that wears white. So that's my that's about as deep as I can go into it at the moment. I think I think we do well to get a win. All right. Okay. Well, look, we'll keep fingers crossed, and then maybe between Dick and Ivan and Stan and Arson, you know, they they could find an agreement and you know spend some fucking money, as they say. All right, gents, <laughs> Andrew Allen, thank you. Oh, it's been a pleasure. Thanks. <laughs> and Tim uh, from Arstomize, thank you. Thanks a lot. Thank you indeed to my guests, even the one that was uh, having or preparing their dinner in the middle of the recording. Uh, Tim Clark from Arse2Mouse. It's arse2mouse.com or Twitter at arse2mouse. And uh, Andrew Allen from Arseblog News, thearsecollective.com. You can find him on Twitter at Sport. Now, after all that football talk, I think we need something relaxing. Might watch a bit of TV, eh? Just see what's on here. Yeah, no, 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 no. Oh. I love this show. This is brilliant. I love that. It's brilliant. Everyone loves Dick Law and Order. In the Arsenal transfer system, the fans are represented by two equally important yet separate groups. The club that wants to buy the players and the Dick Law that tries to negotiate for them. These are their stories.
hello, hello. You are the, uh, the famous Dick Law. Hello, it's, it's good to meet you. Uh, here we are, welcome to this cafe. It's right beside the stadium. It's a good place, no, to, uh, to discuss uh, the transfer. Can I get you something, no? No? Okay. If you want to get down to business, you are a man of few words. I respect this. Okay. You want the player. We understand. We also have no problem to sell the player, but... There is the problem of uh, valuation, no? So I have an idea. Here, we have some uh, piece of paper. I have paper, you have paper. There you go. And one for me. And what we do is this. On my paper, I write how much we want for the player. And on your paper, you write how much you want to pay. After, we swap the piece of paper, look at the number, and then negotiate, no? Okay. So... There's your paper, I have my paper. And on my paper I am write how much we want for player. And I fold paper. And you do same, okay, perfect. And now uh, to swap the piece of paper. There we go. Okay, I look now at yours. Um, I am a bit uh, confused here because on my paper I have written a number in millions, how much we want. But on your paper, you have drawn enormous penis. I'm not sure um, you understand the concept. Perhaps uh, I give you paper back. There we go, and you can write number, no? Okay, I, ta I take paper back. But uh, still is no number, but you have drawn big ejaculation. On penis. I'm not sure you uh, understand how this negotiation it, uh, it, it functions. No? This is how you do things at, at Arsenal? Oh there. It's no wonder you cannot sign any player. Adios. Can't wait till next week find out what happens. Although, hang on, no, I think we, I think we know. Looking ahead very quickly to the Fulham game tomorrow, an early kickoff. Um, so, unless a player is registered by twelve noon today, Friday, as we speak, then they're not eligible to play against Fulham. Some talk of Matthew Flamini, as we mentioned earlier on with the guys. Whether or not that happens remains to be seen. Uh, it seems that if they're gonna do it, they could do it. Uh, nice and quickly, so he could be involved. Uh, but other than that, there doesn't appear to be anybody coming in. Uh, we're a bit short at centre-half. One centre-half going into a Premier League game. I know Bakary Sanya can fill in there in the very short term, but he is by far our best right-back, and that's where he should be playing. And for a club the size of Arsenal, uh, with the ambitions or the apparent ambitions of Arsenal, with the resources and finances, uh, and just... It's a professional football club with one centre-half in a Premier League game. And all it's taken is for one injury and one suspension to leave us in that position. So it's worrying, particularly as Fulham are a bit canny up front. So I'm not uh, a little bit worried about that, I have to say. A little bit worried. But uh, hopefully we can reproduce the sort of uh, form 
that we showed on Wednesday night. We dug in. I think Fulham are going to be a much, much sterner test than Fenerbahce were. Uh, we got to hope the goals keep coming, Giroud. Uh, I know some people don't like him, but he's got two and two. If he can keep it up, let's get a goal from Walcott. Let's get another one from Ramsey, Cazorla. We've got goals in the team. Podolski, if Arsene Wenger decides to use him for more than a couple of minutes and chucks him on in the right position, he can get us a goal as well. Um, I don't know what to think or, or how to feel about this particular game. I know I want us to win. But I can't say with any confidence that we're going to get a result. And uh, it is a game that you think we really do need to win. Having lost the opening game against Villa, uh, to have taken one point from two games with the others stretching ahead already. And I know it's only early in the season, but, you know, these games count and all these points count at the end of the season. Look at how close it finished on the final day of last season. I think we really, really need three points against Fulham tomorrow. So I'll keep fingers crossed for that. And then, of course, you've got a midweek game against Fenerbahce, which, all going well, should be fairly routine and see us into the group stages of the Champions League. Then we're heading into the final weekend before the transfer window closes. Uh, whether or not Arsenal do any business, your guess at this point is entirely as good as mine. Anyway, good luck to the lads tomorrow. Let's keep going and let's hope we can get those three points and I'll talk to you on next week's Arscast. Until then, take it easy. Cheers. Bye-bye. Hey.